TED Audio Collective. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case. Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com, designed for work. Late night things I do when uh, I should probably just go to bed. You know, a lot of times I'm just watching Instagram reels. I get a lot of NBA reels in my Instagram. I don't even watch NBA games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Watching soccer drill that I'd like to be able to do. I'm never going to do this drill. Oh, I might hear about, like, some actor that I don't care about on Twitter being involved in some scandal when they're trending. And I'm like, oh, wait, who is that? So I Google that. That's a stupid, stupid, stupid use of time. Other late night oh, yeah, things. Like an Indian sample I was trying to figure out how to flip. Uh, beat making. Kind of like, kind of like that. It's kind of cool. So it sounds like. That's me doing what I do at 11 p.m. sometimes when I should be catching up on sleep. It's tough because, you know, most days I haven't had a lot of me time with kids, lockdown, little travel. Sometimes I really want that time. And... I know sacrificing sleep isn't a healthy trade-off, but I do it anyway. Some people call this revenge bedtime procrastination, where basically you don't have enough time to do what you want to do during the day, so you try and cram in a bunch of fun stuff into the night when you should be sleeping. Now, there are other places in the world, other traditions, where people think about our time sleeping and dreaming very differently than I have, where the dream world is a place where auspicious things can happen. It's a place where we spend a lot of time. One third of our lifetime, we sleep. That means average 25 years people sleep and 25 years of unconscious activity, which can be a great place for personal and spiritual development. And if you don't figure out that big mystic time, mysterious time, it's a big loss. So if you live for 75 years, 25 years of it is dream time. So in Tibetan tradition, it's a big part of our spiritual journey. And in the end, dream is about self-realization. That's Geshe Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, often called just Rinpoche. He's a teacher of the Bon Buddhist tradition, teaching how to become awakened while you're dreaming. One of the biggest principles of Bon Buddhism is the belief that a lot of what people perceive as a reality is just an illusion. And in this tradition, the best way to become aware of the illusions we create is in our dreams. Life is like a dream. Don't get stuck in reality that you create. It's not real. It's just a dream. And enjoy it while you're dreaming it, but this will end very soon. That's the Buddhist teaching. Life is unreal as a dream, and dream is real as life. I'm Salim Reshamwala, and from TED, this is Far Flung. In each episode, we visit a different place to understand ideas that flow from there. And 
Today, we're doing things a little differently, a little metaphorically. We're traveling to the dream world to discover where we go, when we dream, and what people think is possible there. Respect your dream. Dreams are like a message. So that means you have a constantly opportunity to understand yourself. It doesn't matter, is it a pain, is it a joy, is it good, is it bad? All are created by your mind. To be honest, I was a bit unsure when I first heard this idea of associating self-awareness with a time and activity that I can't control or even remember a lot of the time. And even if I do remember my dreams, they're often bizarre, seemingly meaningless. Well, Rinpoche told me about a place that he says can help with that. We are in Virginia, about a half hour from the nearest real town, I'd say. It's in the mountains, they're kind of soft rolling hills. So you're hearing a little bit of sprinkles here and there and prayer flags whipping in the wind rather beautifully. That's me on my first night at Serenity Ridge. Serenity Ridge is a retreat center founded by Rinpoche back in 1998. He wanted to preserve the Bon Buddhist tradition. And arriving, it does feel a bit, I'm going to go ahead and say it, dreamy. The vibe at Serenity Ridge feels like summer camp for mental exploration. Looking over the schedule, right from the jump, we're sitting very still and meditating for four hours a day. I don't think I've meditated for more than 15 minutes before, so this is going to be a challenge. Everybody here is kind of seeking something, and so everyone who's here is here for a reason. I'm excited for it. I don't know if I can meditate this much, though. I was incredibly sore on day one. Luckily, Rinpoche is a very experienced and relatable teacher. Just so approachable. You know, he's got a family. He lives in Berkeley, California. He likes to drive a VW microbus. He loves going hiking. You know, he likes to travel like the rest of us. He loves Italian food. That's Rob Patzig. He's studied with Rinpoche for over a decade. Many of the monks in this tradition elsewhere are amazing teachers, but they don't always have that shared life experience that lets us connect to what they're talking about or our problems are really bizarre to them and they're not sure what to tell us about it. Rob helps run five Bon Buddhist retreat centers all over the world, including Serenity Ridge. He said a lot of people who study with Rinpoche first got into his teachings from his book, The Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. In it, Rinpoche writes about this very old tradition called dream yoga. So dream yoga, yoga is like a knowledge insight. So basically 25 years time of your life, it can be totally meaningless, even harmful, or it can be useful awakening. So using that method, that meditation is called dream yoga. But to understand how this teaching ended up in the hills of Virginia, you got to backtrack a few decades and 7,000 miles. It was not so much I was taught theory of dreams. It was more I was living like a dream world. And the dream was a very important factor of making a decision of life. Rinpoche was born in Amritsar, India in 1961. His parents fled there from Tibet to escape persecution during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. 
As a child growing up in Asia, we were not taught so much to demand in life like in the West. What do you want to become? You know, like that. We were just like, uh, okay, whatever the life brings, that's fine, you know. When his father passed away, his mom remarried a man who was a former Tibetan monk. They decided Rinpoche should grow up within his Tibetan culture. So when he was 10 years old, they sent him to the Menri Monastery, a Tibetan-bond Buddhist monastery located in the remote hills of northern India. On his first day at the monastery, he said it was a bit of a culture shock. Previously, he'd been studying at a Christian boarding school. Only thing I was a little bit annoyed is I had a beautiful long hair, you know. They shaved it everything. <laughs> they cut it all off. They cut it all off. Okay, okay, wow, yeah, okay. That was this little sad moment. And then they gave me the monk's robe. He was so fresh at all this that he wasn't even able to tie that robe himself. They help him out, and then he goes to the temple. So there's a group of monks sitting, and they're going through all the ceremony, rituals, and prayers. Are they asking you any questions during yes, this? they're asking questions. They're saying, do you want to become a monk? And somebody told me behind me to say yes. <laughs> so I said, yes. To be accepted to receive the teachings at the monastery, the group was told they had one very important homework assignment. He said, tonight, you go and have a dream. Tomorrow morning, you share your dream with me. Then I will decide to accept or not. This assignment would have made me incredibly nervous. But Rinpoche came home and went to bed like he did any other night. And he had this dream. One about the teacher who gave him the homework assignment. He was living in a small village. There's no road. There's a house there where he lives by himself. So we go to class teaching in his bedroom. So... Uh, in my dream, there was a bus circumambulating his house. bus was going around his house. In the Tibetan tradition, to move in a circle around a sacred place like a temple or mountain is called circumambulating. It's a way of connecting with that sacred place. So circling his teacher's house on a bus was symbolic. And my friend of mine was a driver, and I was a conductor. So I was handing out ticket, and the ticket has syllable letter R, which is on my dream book. In Tibetan culture, every letter is holy. Every syllable can be a mantra. So he wakes up from the dream and goes back to the monastery the next day. And he tells his teacher the dream. I did not think about, oh, what's interesting dream, fantastic dream. And he said, okay, fine. He was kind of person who would not praise too much. And he would not say, oh, great. He would not say that. He said, okay, that's fine. No, that means it's a good, you know. <laughs> Rinpoche spent the next 11 years studying at the monastery. Everything about the monastery was intentionally minimal. Food portions were very small, and he says they only ate two dishes that rotated every other day. Lentils and rice or cabbage and rice. That's it. Early in the morning, two monks will be playing conch shell and singing prayers. Imagine you are in the bed and you hear this conch shell. That means time to get up and walk up to the monastery. Then we have a very tight schedules for classes, debate, memorizing. So it was basically like a very intense school. Students did not get their own textbooks. They had to copy every page of text in their own writing by hand. And then the first time when I saw a photocopy machine, that was wow. <laughs> Also, we have to memorize like 50 pages and electricity was so unreliable. We would have an incense stick 
then we will sit in the dark and then we will blow read it again and we have memorized like that so the tiny light of the incense stick is what you were using to light the text you were reading yes and then when the incense is gone you can go to bed you know? <laughs> but his studies didn't stop when he went to bed every moment in for your life whatever is happening is an opportunity to grow be and face challenge and not run away for Rinpoche, this mindset was really put to the test during his most intense experience at the monastery, something called a dark retreat. As a teenager, he volunteered to go into a completely pitch dark, windowless room, really just a very small space with a toilet, and stay there for 50 days. What was time like in there? Did it feel like it was passing quickly, or did you have any sense of that? Yeah, so the sense of time only reference was in the morning, because I could hear monks talking, praying, and getting water. The idea is to connect the darkness in the room with the deep inner space of the mind, and to blur the lines between waking, sleeping, and death. Rinpoche says he began to have visions or hallucinations, and that sometimes they were really frightening. He mentioned floating heads appearing close to his face. The whole idea is to have a vision, and these visions are unprocessed things inside you. They come up, your fear come up, your pain comes up, desire comes up. So when they come up, uh, if you don't grasp them, basically if you leave them as it is and be fully in the present and be aware of it, then it automatically self-processes. But if you're trying to stop it, then you're manipulating it. It will not able to process. By observing these scary visions without immediately reacting to or suppressing them, Rinpoche says he became more comfortable with fear. Instead of avoiding it, he surrendered. So the whole idea is let your ego weaken and let your awareness become stronger. But many times, we don't have awareness. Only thing we have is our ego. And instead of identifying with his desires, fears, and attachments, he says he was able to see them as passing thoughts and transcend them. And after 50 days being inside, I could have stayed continuously another 50 days without any problem. Rinpoche says he was the youngest person at the monastery to ever complete the dark retreat. When I came out, I was much more still and much, much more calm because in a dark room, you cannot move much. <laughs> There's nothing much to do. Mm. So you have to kind of look back to yourself, your thought, your feelings, your restlessness, your pain, and you have to kind of be with it. The dark retreat was a sort of simulated dream state. Rinpoche says he returned with a new awareness that his thoughts, emotions, and fears only have the power that he gives them. People are not able to be still enough. People are not able to just observe their thoughts and feelings. Rather, they're constantly chasing outside world. Maybe you're so exhausted and you're not able to remember or feel that you're having dreams. So I think people need to get a little bit more time for themselves. Many people don't know what they're thinking. People will say, I don't get angry. Why are you saying that? That much lack of awareness. So these experiences, when they're denied, unacknowledged, unaware, you don't process them well. 
whatever your nightmares are, is not only happening in your night, in your dream, in your subconscious. You're experiencing the same thing during the weekend. I'll say for me, sometimes my sleeping feels more like just a blackout, a place that has nothing in particular to do with my real world problems. So Rinpoche's story kind of turns that way of thinking about sleep and dreams upside down. But the dark retreat is an intense example. And if you're asking yourself, how can I possibly do this if I can't even remember my dreams? Don't worry, we were wondering that too. After the break, we ask folks from Serenity Ridge for tips on how to approach the dream world. Where do you think we go when we dream? I feel like maybe I go to a place where I'm not constrained by my body. I think I go wherever I am in the day. I get the sense that we go to some deeper aspects of ourselves that we don't necessarily experience in our daily lives. The journey for me been always journey internally where we talk about boundless space internally. That's my destination. Everything is possible. Everything is possible means there's no conflict, there's no pain that I cannot overcome. I just keep on moving. That's my journey here. Yeah. What are you flipping through right now? It's a dream journal. That is a lot of <laughs> entries. That's Alice. She's a teenager who came to the retreat with her dad. I asked her what advice she has for someone who does not remember their dreams. So the first thing you have to start with is a very honest resolution before bed, saying, I'm going to remember my dreams. As odd as it sounds, just setting that intention, saying to yourself that you'll remember your dreams, folks said that it can make a difference before you go to bed. But you want to carry that intention when you wake up, too. Otherwise, your dreams might just slip away in those groggy early morning seconds. The first step to remembering is sit very still in bed because once you move, it's likely you'll forget. You start to wake up and you are remembering your dream and then you go, ah, that doesn't make sense. Or boom, and then done, gone. Or I have said, I'll remember that. No. That's Marcy. She's been a student of Rinpoche for more than 25 years. And although she says she's had vivid dreams ever since she was a kid, she still has to really focus when she wakes up to remember them. Before you get up, lean back, just for a moment, lean back into the dream space. Like, just hang out there a little longer in case there's a flavor that you could catch. The advice is when you first wake up, go easy. If you're using your phone as an alarm clock, turn it off and put it aside. Another tip a few people gave us was to consistently write your dreams down. Helps you remember them. So keep paper and pen by your bed. But to really remember your dreams, you also want to pay attention to what you do before you go to bed. Preparing to go to sleep, the whole idea is let go of the day. If you carry a lot of stuff, you're going to have a nightmare. 
you might not even fall asleep. And that gets us to the next tip, meditating. For example, taking deep breaths and focusing on your thoughts right before going to bed. <sighs> I found my nice bed. This is a safe place. I'm lucky. I'm grateful. I'm protected. You found some more secure sense of who you are. Now you have changed. Who's going to go into the night world is the dreamer. New dreamer is going. And it's going to find new things, new world. Basically, if you had a bad day and you just go to bed stressed, that's going to impact your quality of sleep and therefore your dreams. So you can get into this downward spiral. Bad day, bad sleep, bad dream, wake up feeling lousy, repeat. We feel this pressure on us that gives us a sense that we're not free. Like I feel so pent up. I've got to get out of here. I've got to do something. That is also a dream. That's like this construction of our world with this grasping and aversion that makes us feel like we just don't have any room for ourselves. And if I can clear those things, it all gets better. Let it go, lay down, go to sleep, see what happens. The whole idea of time of nothing is what is lacking the most in everybody's life. Every moment getting filled up by something. And when we do have the last moment in the bedtime, we want to fill it up. Resting and being present in that nothing is more important than trying to fill it up. Even though emptying your mind at the end of the day is easier said than done, Rob says if you can think of the practice as part of your bedtime ritual, then it can start to feel like second nature. How many times do you skip brushing your teeth before bed? Probably never, right? Because it's just gross to go to bed with like stuff stuck in your teeth. But how many of you take the time to clean your mind before you go to sleep? So you'll take the time to clean these like dead pieces of bone sticking in your mouth, but you won't take the time to clean like the living active mind that you're going to go to sleep with. If you don't clean your mind, you're going to wake up with exactly what you went to bed with. So if you can get that good night's sleep first so that your day and your emotions are not filling your dreams and taking you wherever they want, you have this opportunity to recognize this is a dream. This is one of the most advanced stages of dream yoga, lucid dreaming, or a dream where not only are you aware that you are dreaming, but you can actually influence what's happening in your dream. And if I know that this is a dream, I know that this is just all my own mind. And if this is all my own mind, it can do anything I want. I can fly. I can change things. I could actually practice being really angry and not punching somebody in the face over it. I could practice really, really wanting something and letting it go and giving it away to somebody. But like that mental practice of changing things and working with things in a safe place is an opportunity to practice what is much harder to do out here where things feel like they're really real. In this way of thinking, lucid dreams are critical to dream yoga because they can show us how easily our minds can deceive us. It goes both ways. The more we are aware of how illusions might be happening when we're awake, the more likely we will be able to recognize we're having a dream when we're asleep. I mean, we do say sometimes, oh my God, you know, I cannot believe this is like a dream. Yes, this is like a dream. It's always it's like a dream. But if you remind yourself that this is a dream, this is a dream, this is a dream, slowly taking that into your night, and then you have a chance to have a lucid dream, transform your dream, yeah. 
The day before Rinpoche came for this retreat, I was in this very strange dream. And I'm in this crypt kind of place, like the tunnels that are under Paris or something like that. It's just like this really dark, it's very, very old. And my shadow leaps out from one of the tunnels and starts attacking me. And I realize like, oh, that's me, but I'm attacking me. So I kill my shadow, but then I realize like, oh, but I also need my shadow. It's not something to kill, it's just something to tame. So I brought my shadow back to life and I reattached it to me and I immediately woke up. I'm like, oh, it's totally okay to have these negative feelings. That stuff we call our shadow self. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be pissed off. And I just woke up with this idea that there's like too much stuff going on where I'm resisting too many changes. I just need to let it happen and recognize that those feelings are just part of who we are. Alice, the dream journaler, also brought up lucid dreams. Dreams started getting weird for her at a very young age. When I was like eight, I would have these horrible auditory hallucinations, these visual hallucinations. I couldn't move. Once I could move, I would run to my parents' room crying. And I asked for like some kind of medication, some kind of therapist. And instead, my dad told me about lucid dreaming. And all of a sudden, I had approached this recurring man that came into my nightmares called the Chainsaw Man. And I told him, you know what, you're in my dream. You can't hurt me. You're part of my imagination. Confronting Chainsaw Man, I learned I could tell the scary things in my dreams, that they don't have power over me. And that was like a much deeper lesson to gain awareness in this really scary situation and then have like self-will, self-control. It's like a much bigger lesson past the dream. One time the dream figure turned into a buffalo and the first thing I said to the buffalo was, ooh, you stink. I mean, it was really a strong odor. And the buffalo said, no, you stink. You stink of fear. So that got my attention, right? These things that look like one thing, if you meet them, they become your ally. They grow you. Rinpoche believes dreams can contain important messages. Even if they come in strange, maybe disturbing ways, they can help you see things from a new perspective. Just like you don't believe everything you dream, we shouldn't necessarily believe everything we think. So, for example, somebody who believes... I'm not good enough and capable of things in my life. They can be so rooted in themselves and they keep on repeating that same thing again and again. You go to the job interview, you go with the whole idea, I want a job, but I'm not capable. Or you go in a relationship, I want a relationship, but maybe I don't deserve you or something like that. So that sense of identity, it's so strong and you reinforce that identity again and again and again. But in dream, you loosen up a little bit. And when you loosen up, you can get some space from all the external messages that can influence how we feel about ourselves. But that's hard when our phones are always at our side. I mean, I was once walking in the woods with my son and I checked something on my phone and an ad popped up. And I thought, wait, are we the first generation that can get served an ad while trying to escape into the woods? And it makes me wonder, is the dream world maybe the last frontier we could travel to without distractions, without phones? We are all so stuck in this concrete world, in this 
real world, what we call the concept of real, is very materialistic view, very dollar-oriented reality, fame-oriented. We're stuck there. As a result of that, we have more pain, we have more disease, we have more confusion, there's more conflict. We have all those things. But when we are sad, we can hold on too long, identify with it too long, and not allow other experiences to occur. The whole idea to see everything as a dream, everything is changeable, everything is impermanent. I mean, that's the truth. And I think the dream work is this opportunity for everybody to say, there's another world. I'll say that post-retreat, I am in fact sleeping better. I'm doing less revenge, bedtime, procrastination. And I think part of that comes from thinking more of nighttime sleep as valuable in and of itself. Rinpoche is often saying, this is a dream, this very moment. And that does make me want to carry some of that lightness, that ease, what he feels he's gained from his attention to dreaming, and just feel a bit less stuck when I have negative thoughts. It's nice to think that on the other side of those thoughts, maybe there's a good night's sleep, a lucid dream, a fresh start. You can be anyone you wanted to be. You can do anything you wanted to do. You can be best of yourself. There's no problem that you cannot resolve in the dream world. So experiment that in a dream and find out, once you can see that, come back in this world that what you think is real. This is not real. This is equally unreal, like a dream. If you can do it in dream, you can do it here. The dream world is infinite possibilities there. Far Flung is produced by Jesse Baker and Eric Newsom of Magnificent Noise for Ted. Our producers for this episode are Elise Blennerhesse and Joseph Martinez. Our production staff includes Sabrina Farhi, Huete Gitana, Ben Ben Chang, Michelle Quint, Jimmy Gutierrez, and Sammy Case. With the guidance of Roxanne Highlash and Colin Helms. Our fact-checkers are Nicole Bodie and Hannah Matsudaira. Ad stories are produced by Transmitter Media. This episode was mixed and sound designed by Kristen Muller and Elise Blennerhesse. Additional music by Elise Blennerhesse and Chris Zabriskie. Additional recordings provided by Serenity Ridge. Thank you to Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche and the Ligmincha International Community, Sue Davis-Dill, Maggie Scobie, Marcy Vaughn, Rob Patzig, Alice Kendall-Zasloff, Henry Kandel, Alexander Zerker, A.V. Ryan, and Clint Murchison III. Additional gratitude to Dr. Eduardo Durand, Dr. Deidre Bennett, Dr. Paul Kalas, and Dr. Antonio Zadra for your time and expertise. Our executive producer is Eric Newsom. I'm Salim Rushamwala. <laughs>